As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. It gives you everything you need in one place for free, which you can use right from your phone or computer. Creation tools allow you to record and edit your podcast so it sounds great. They'll even distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard everywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many more. You can easily make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of It Is What It Is podcast. I'm your host, Cody Kelly. I'm super excited. Today, I have an amazing panel, an amazing episode. I've been looking forward to this for the last two weeks. I really want to dive in deep. Today's podcast episode is on colorism, a very controversial topic uh, that hasn't, to me, fully been discussed, particularly within the Black community. One of the reasons why this uh, topic came uh, to mind, so... Wife and I, right, it's COVID, so, you know, there's nothing to do but watch Netflix. We're watching just some, you know, black movies. That's what we do. We go through Netflix, and I try to look for all the, like, you know, black directors and whatnot. So I was like, hey, look, School Days, I've seen it a thousand times. Let's just rewatch it for the heck of it. We're always some friends. Uh, watching School Days, uh, there's a dance sequence uh, a, a really surrounding a hair salon, and they get into this uh, montage of, of just battling and really it's the i guess an engagement of conversation and dialogue between uh lighter skin complected uh black americans and darker skin you know complected black americans one of the uh titles is you know good or bad hair see if i care you know dark affairs you know good or bad hair and it's it's a whole just onslaught and it's interesting i mean the choreography uh, the choreography was amazing the sequencing was amazing uh, but I think it dives into a deeper topic. So I invited uh, these five individuals who are amazing. Uh, and I believe one is going to join us shortly. I'm going to read a couple of their bios because they sent over to me because some of these guys were actually obedient and actually read the email. So I appreciate the ones that did. Uh, so I will start with uh, Jasmine. And then I have Morgan's uh, bio that I will read um, right here that I'm actually pulling up. 
Got it right here. All right, so let's start with Jasmine. So Jasmine, Lady Jasmine Smither is a native of Chicago, Illinois, third-generation member of the Church of God in Christ. Through the holiness teaching of her family, she has received Jesus Christ as her personal Savior, received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Through her steadfast love for the Lord and faithfulness to ministry, Lady Jazz, as she is affectionately known, has served the kingdom in many areas. She has matriculated through schools, receiving her high school diploma, 2006 uh, with high honors, a bachelor's of science degree in political science with a minor sociology, uh, sociology from my alma mater, Loyola University of Chicago in 2010. Then in 2011, she received her paralegal studies certificate, also from Loyola University of Chicago. Currently, she works for United Health Services. She's married to the love of her life, good friend of mine, and amazing just person to pick his brain, Pastor R. Matthew Spencer. Together, they have one beautiful daughter, Reagan Jasmine Spencer, one Handsome son, R. Matthew Spencer II. 2015, Lady Spencer, alongside her husband, established the Freedom Dominion Church, where she serves faithfully as the First Lady and Executive Administrator. Administrator. Recently, she has accepted her call to the gospel ministry, Lady Jazz Life, by the motto, Excellence is our only option. We are the kingdom. She is also the owner CEO of Peculiar Royalty, an LLC, and a lifestyle blogger and influencer. Connect with her on LinkedIn. And then I have with me Morgan Wills, and I'm going to introduce all my guests. Uh, I, I don't know why I can't read today. I think I've had too much coffee and it's starting to wear off. So like I'm stumbling over my words. Uh, Morgan, St. Louis native Morgan Williams uh, is an associate on the corporate contributions and community initiatives team at Amaran Corporation. She is somebody at Amaran Corporation. Morgan manages and oversees a budget in excess of $10 million per year through forecasting data analytics and reporting to senior leadership of contributions made to the local community through Amaran's charitable trust and company funds. Morgan's genuine passion for empowering and serving those around her is how her business, Oh So Sisterly, was created. Oh So Sisterly focuses on the online content development with strategic emphasis on women's empowerment, its mission to improve the quality of life for women everywhere by creating an inclusive, collaborative environment for story sharing, cultivating healthy dialogue amongst women. Oh So Sisterly's platform leverages art in the various forms to deliver significant messaging around self-worth, self-confidence, self-love for all women. Then I have with me Tequila Doors. I would like to say Tequila Doors is an amazing professional. She is also uh, the unofficial official uh, assistant first lady of Prayer Tower Ministries. <laughs> for all those that are watching, a uh, shout out to uh, her husband, Demond Doors. Uh, it's interesting. I said when Shay's one of the few people that when she marries, uh, you know, her husband became our favorite and we just kind of, you know, almost forgot about Shay, but she is amazing and uh, awesome contributor, <laughs> just a leader. If you really connected with her, she is an activist in her own right. Uh, I say she is the Kojic Angela Rye. Uh, so I really appreciate her that I have in the Candies Rose. Brian, she is now in Texas. I do not have her bio, but I know enough about her. I did. I sent oh, you my did. bio. I'm just being disobedient, I'm being disobedient right now. <laughs> Let me see. I think I can wing it. I know enough about you. Or I'm a little, okay. I got it right here. I got it. I can read. All right. <laughs> Missionary Teddy's Rosie Bryant. Oh, she got the real bio. Born July 7th, 1982. Wilson. Eldest girl, three of five siblings. Missionary Bryant is the fourth generation. You see these generations? Look at this. This is a Kojic show, boy. Church of God in Christ. Gave her life completely to God on July 31st, 2005. And on January the 6th, 2006, was baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost under the leadership of the late, great Bishop Cody Vernon Marshall. 
She lives a life of prayer that is the foundation of her love for God. A native of Chicago, Illinois, she's attending and graduated from prestigious uh, Robert Lindblom College Prep. Hey, you went to Lindblom. My mom graduated there. Later, the fall, she enrolled into NIU, graduating class in 2005, earning a BA in sociology with an emphasis in criminology and a minor in family and child studies. On May 12, 2018, she graduated from Texas Southern University with an executive master of public administration. After giving her life to God, she's beginning to carve out a ministry identity. Uh, Mr. Brian, creator and organizer of Cafe Hallelujah. She is, and we still actually operate Cafe Hallelujah today, a departmental event designed to create a safe environment for young people to express and develop God-given talents, such as spoken word, poetry, song, rap, comedy, and a few other things. Visionary Bryant is a charter board uh, member of the Education Matters Starting Leaders Youngs, which is a collegiate prep organization devoted to educating youth and parents on the transitional challenges from high school to college. Uh, look, she is somebody. I got a full thing. That's a whole paragraph uh, that I have with me. Ariel Crenshaw, amazing, amazing AKA member. She's right now getting her master's uh, MSN in nursing, correct? Am I... I remember from the last time. Yes. Yeah. Look, she, yeah. she's a graduate of all alma mater as well. Jasmine Ozer, you know, Loyola Rambler. And I, I, I mean, she's, she went there. She is my buddy, but amazing, just intellectual, amazing, just professional. I'm super excited. I know that was a long intro, but when you have heavyweights like this, sometimes you got to spend the time on it. So how are you guys doing? Good. Really good. Thanks for having me. Cool, cool. Thank you for being here. Look, let's get into it. Let's dive deep. I want to open it up. Um, so with that being said, with the montage, I know today um, Vice President Biden announced his VP pick, Senator Kamala Harris. Uh, great pick. I, I'm a huge fan. But I think even that, even then, colorism can play a part of that. And I really want to get into how weighted uh, this result. You know, sometimes we talk about racism and, and classism, but there are internal challenges even within one's um, ethnicity and organization, right? So I want to start here. And and I want to always give my audience an FYI. Look, every they're speaking on their own personal um, experiences. They're not answering for all light-skinned people, all karma-complected people, all dark-skinned people. This is theirs, but there is a shared similar experience. So don't be like, look, I'm light-skinned. I didn't go through that. That just could be you, right? So I want to start with you, Tequila Doris. What is it like being light-skinned? Oh, wow. Okay, so being light-skinned, where do I start? I think you're caught between two worlds, um, being light-skinned. Growing up, I think uh, there was issues as far as being accepted by the black community. And I, uh, cause I grew up in white suburbia and mm-hmm. I went to church in Inglewood and my parents owned a business on the South side of Chicago. So trying to navigate those two worlds where in white suburbia, I'm being called a nigger, hard R. And then when I go to the South side of Chicago, I'm being called a hunky. Yeah. So I had an identity crisis but I knew I was black, but I didn't know what my blackness was. And then, and now growing up, I've learned to deal with some of those issues. And now um, I realize um, just like there's white privilege, there's light skin privilege. And 
I can maneuver and move around in society in a fashion that darker complected people can't, and it's not fair. So um, I've, I've dealt, I guess it's a dichotomy that I deal with. And um, because I'm able now to move around in society like that, I deal with this guilt, mm. this light skin guilt that um, I struggle with on a rec- on a regular basis. So, yeah. Light skin guilt. I've actually never heard of light skin guilt. I'm light skin myself. I got a tan right now because I go out and do a lot of running. But you know, I'm I'm light skin. When the tan wears off, we're about the same hue. That's what family. That's that Perry uh, stuff. So, uh, yes. <laughs> but light skin guilt, light skin privilege is a real thing. I uh, I always say I probably wouldn't be as half as far if I was a little darker. Uh, and I definitely wouldn't get treated by the police that I do. You know, like they still, they might pull me over, but it's like a hard warning. It's not like a, you know, it's, it's just different. Morgan, I'm throwing it to you. I'm not caramel complected. And then Rosie will follow up with it. And then I'm going to hit on being dark skinned. Um, that might be interesting because in your case, Morgan, you're not light skinned, but you don't suffer from the same uh, obstacles that a darker skinned woman would suffer from. Right. So like, uh, you know, you, you know, uh, the ushers of the world, you know, you could kind of almost play in both fields. Right. <laughs> what has that experience been like for you? Well, for those that aren't aware on the panel, um, I come from a family of seven and ironically, half of us are either very fair skinned or we are a nice mocha brown skin like myself. So when comparing myself to siblings that weren't brown skin, I just automatically um, considered myself as dark skin. And I had a lot of classmates actually tell me, well, you know, Morgan, you're, you're not actually a dark skin woman, sweetheart. Are you aware of that? But that just shows you what my perception um, has been ever since I was little, because it was just based upon what I saw within my family. So I've always just identified with a dark skinned woman. Mm. And one thing that I can say, um, present day, just being a darker complected woman, um, it is embraced more now. And I think it's because we have people within platforms. When I think of people specifically like Beyonce, who has influence, who just put out a song called Brown Skin Girls. So now it's celebrated. It's it's appreciated. So I think, you know, little girls now have more of a representation um, of the browner complected women. And because of that, embrace it a little bit more um, than I probably can admit that I did when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Um, I identified as a darker skinned girl and comparing myself to siblings and family oftentimes um, wish that I was able to identify with them in that way in terms of having a very fair skin tone as they did. Hmm. That's interesting. Rosie, you're, you're caramel complexed as well. Uh, did you identify as a darker skinned woman or, I mean, how did that go about? Because I'm going to be honest with you. Look, it was hard to date. Um, I, because <laughs> like when I was dating, like for whatever reason, Omarion was, you know, really big and like I wasn't dark skinned and I didn't have braids. 
and I couldn't dance. And it was just hard to navigate that channel. You know, I had to compete against the Omarions of the world. Uh, it's working now, thank God for President Obama. But, you know, I'm married now, so it doesn't really matter. But I'm just saying, like, after 08, I was fine. Uh, so you're brown, you know, you're, you're a brown skin complexion uh, lady. Uh, what has that experience been like for you, Rosie? So um, this was really a, a topic I had to really kind of think about because mm-hmm. I am not dark and I am not like mm-hmm. really light skin. So I kind of, I was, I was, as I was thinking, I was like, you know what? I'm kind of like a, a neutral. Um, I'm kind of like non-threatening um, because it was like the light skinned girls, you know, identified as they had those issues and then dark skinned girls, but I never had a colorism issue. Mm-hmm. Um, my older brothers, my mom, uh, one of my younger sisters, like I grew up in a house where everybody was dark skinned. So I remember them even teasing me by me being lighter than them, but it still wasn't like, you know, you're really not light skinned, you know, you're just lighter than us. But in my mind, I thought, well, I think I would rather be brown than have the issues of like dark skinned people. So that was kind of, I was like an outsider, but I knew within like, well, I mean, this is the complexion that I am and I would rather be this complexion than dark because y'all have a lot of issues, you know? So that was kind of my take, but I was thinking like bright being brown skin is kind of like the good thing because you're in the middle. You don't have either issue. I don't have a dark skin issue and I don't have a a light girl issue. So Mm kind of neutral. Kind of neutral. Speak on this new challenge. So Jasmine, I'm throwing it to you. Uh, I've known you for all of our lives. Uh, You know, you have an amazing family. Your your grandmother is sweet, uh, sweet as pie. She is really. Uh, I never thought about the role that color plays until I got older, right? So tell me about that. I'm not dark skinned. I do not know what that world is. I'm black, but like there's variations to that, right? So like, yeah. what has that been like for you? What has colorism in, in your experience been like? Um. It's been kind of, kind of like Candace, kind of in the middle of the road. Um, I, I grew up, my, you know, me and my sister were all the same color, and then I, my brother, he's a little lighter than us, mm-hmm. so we would tease him. He was made of sand, and we were made of chocolate when we were kids growing up. Um, so I, I have that memory from when I was little. Uh, but then growing up, I really never paid attention to it until maybe high school, college. That's when it was really made as a pronounced difference. Um, In grade school, I was mostly in a suburban school, kids my same color. Um, It was, I don't even think it may have been one Caucasian. So it was like a completely different dynamic racially that we went through. But once I got to high school and started noticing people from different backgrounds, even though we are, like you said, we're all still black, even though we have that same common denominator, now where we're coming from, other things are coming into play. And I'm like, oh, I never realized that. And then that's when I started to pay attention to different things, even like on our TV show that we would watch. So like a different world where like the main girl that everybody wanted was like Whitley or Denise. 
But then you had Kim, she was always studying and she was a doctor. He was just like little nuanced things where now you're being introduced to that subtly. And you're like, so is this really how life is going to be as I grow up? Like when I go to college, like, is this the kind of thing I'm going to have to face? So that's just kind of my perspective on how I kind of looked at things growing up. Awesome. Awesome. Ariel, I'm throwing it to you. Your experience. Um, being, you know, dark skin, what has that been like? Uh, I, I know Jazz mentioned even watching TV shows like A Different World and seeing that dynamic. What is that? As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Experience the mic. Um, I would say growing up... um. It didn't occur to me that I was dark skinned until I was in elementary school. Um, even though growing up, I do have a lot of cousins who are lighter than me. I would just say like, oh, you know, they're just lighter. It's no big, big deal. Even though they did used to tease me every once in a while, but it was never like a big obstacle. But when I started going to elementary school, I was also very tall. I've been like five nine since I was in like fifth grade. So I used to get teased for being very tall and I used to get teased for being darker too. Um, But in high school, I didn't really see any change or a dynamic um, that way. Um, I also played a lot of sports. So just seeing how, I guess, being a couple, especially in volleyball, you see that there's not that many um, African-Americans that play volleyball at all, but you do see that there also isn't very, um, there is not a lot of darker complected um, African-Americans that play at at all as well. Um, but I do know that growing up, uh, my parents, they did try to educate us in making us understand the role in which our skin will play. Mm-hmm. Um, and they did have a talk with me very young saying like, knowing that you are gonna grow up, you are gonna be darker complected so you need to be prepared for things that may happen in the world and things that people may say as well um but i did see like uh jasmine mentioned before like in tv shows seeing how darker complected people were overlooked for things and how they were treated um to be viewed as not as 
um, significant or valued as well. So I didn't know how that was going to affect me growing up. But I will say that it did make me think a lot more as well. Awesome. Awesome. Eric, I want to stay with you and then Jasmine and then we'll go uh, Jasmine, Rosie, Morgan, uh, Shay. Is there a double standard? Let's take it up now. Is there a double standard in beauty? And what I mean by this, so there, I came across this article and I, and I believe I posted it on my Facebook. Um, it was actually the tribute uh, magazine that Ebony did uh, toward Dr. King. It came out April, actually came out May, 1968. Uh, but one on the inside cover, it was a skin bleaching product. And it was like, you know, basically, you know, desire that beautiful look. And it was this really fair skinned woman in this skin bleaching product. And this push for this light skin narrative, right? And what beauty, we always talk about like the assimilation toward, you know, a more European look. Um, it's it's like, it's there, it's, it, it's, it's undeniable. Um, and I've always said that has to be addressed. Like for me, I... You know, I, I knew I knew that, you know, I was attracted to black women. I didn't want I didn't care what variation that came in. Right. It wasn't like I got to give me a whatever, you know, but I'm saying as a woman, is there like a double standard? Like, I mean, now it's getting a little bit better. You know, you see the Michelle Obamas of the world, you know, but still traditionally, you know, there is this push toward light. What has that been like as far as that beauty standard? Um, I'll say for myself that definitely when thinking about specifically hair, things that I'm able to do, like I have to keep in mind like, okay, you know, you're darker skin. So like when I went natural, I was like, okay, I'm darker skin. I don't know what great my hair is going to be. Is it going to be 3C? Is it going to be 4C? Like, how is that going to be viewed? So that goes all into textureism as well. Like, what's viewed as being okay? Because if you don't have the ringlets, the 3C hair, you're viewed as, well, you don't have good hair, so you're not deemed as as beautiful. And then when I went into locks, I also had to think, like, is that gonna be okay because now I have locks and how how are locks viewed on a darker complected woman so I do think there is a double standard um in beauty as far as what is deemed okay for uh for darker complected women to have and I think now it's starting to be as Morgan stated before it has definitely started to be accepted more because we do have a lot more people that are um on platforms that are showing that it is okay for people to do these things and that it shouldn't be deemed as not okay and that it's it's something that that we need to be more accepting of awesome jasmine your husband is light-skinned awesome guy keeps me laughing quite often um what did anybody at any time tell you that's what you should attract to. You know, because the reason why I say this is um, there are cultural stigmas. Um, and sometimes you get pushed into certain avenues if you're not careful, right? Um, and <laughs> I'm trying to say this, Greg. Hey, you hear, you hear what I'm trying I to think say. I know what you mean, though. Right, right. Um, so, I wouldn't say I was more so push that way. I get what you're saying with the cultural thing. Right. Um, you hear it even like growing up, of course, all black people say 
they got Indian in their family, so that's why they get good hair or something like that. But it's more like, especially around those adolescent years, oh, so-and-so's mixed. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I want to go out with him. Oh, if I have a baby by this one, my baby's going to have good hair or this kind of skin color. Um, so you hear those things. I wasn't more so swayed by this. Um, actually, I was the exact opposite. Like, I made sure that in my dating, everybody that I talked to, I was like anti, I was anti light skin. Uh, it, it was crazy. And that's when I started talking to my husband. Everybody was so taken aback, like, so where he come from, though? Because, you know, you wouldn't even look the direction of anybody light. And I was like, well, that's how I knew. Because, you know, I'm just, because so much was put on that, like, um, like you were saying, oh, Marion era, even like Chris Brown, just like in that, it's like, eh, let me just stay away from the popular thing. Like I'm gonna do my own thing over here. And you see it more so now, it's not as bad because we do have like everyone's been saying the role models, but then we also do have the flip side of that with so many Instagram influencers that say, yeah, even though you're still uh, a darker skin person, if you have the lighter, uh, not the lighter, the straight hair, or if you, are thicker in certain places, you know, you'll still garner the attention regardless of your color. So it's not so much the light versus dark, like maybe our parents experience, Mm -hmm. but it's a little different. And because so many things subconsciously influence us like social media and things like that, I think that's kind of what's affecting our generation and the one coming behind us because now it's like, it's not so much the color that's the standard of beauty. It's like, what comes with the color? Do you have the 30 inch weave? Do you have, you know, your long stiletto nails or uh, is your waist tiny, but then the rest of you, huge? like it's different things like that that's kind of creeping in and taking the place more so of that light skin, dark skin. Mm, I like that. And I, I think that's a good pivot. Rosie, that that evolution, that shift, because I it's, I think it hits to it. It kind of ties back to the episode I did yesterday on, on Black Hair. Uh, this beauty um, imagery of what beautiful is, uh, what has that been like, you know, transitioning from, let's say, the early 2000s at the most probably immature time in hip hop, you know, the cash money era to like now, right? Like uh, how has, how have you navigated uh, through this channel? So I think, so I got a confession. So the, the natural hair era um, is like exploded, right? Um, I'm natural, but for a long time, I did not feel pretty with my hair like textured, like curly or whatever. Um, but I realized it was a conditioning that we've kind of been conditioned to think that straight hair lights, like we've been conditioned to do that. So I don't really know if we really have a really good take on what beauty really is. So I've had to kind of adjust to it doesn't really matter what I look like on the outside, what my hair looks like. It's an inward thing 
that I need to exude and show the world. So I've kind of adjusted, but that was a, a, a period for me. I'm like, well, I want to be natural because, you know, power to the people. But then I was like, well, I don't really think I'm really that cute when my when my hair is all curly like that. And then, it you know, it shrinks up and you're like, so it took a while for me to adjust to like this new beauty. But then I knew it was accepted by a lot of other blacks now and especially black women. Like, oh, if, if you're not natural, it's like, oh, you putting the, the perm in your hair? Like, we're not doing that no more. We natural. So it took some adjusting. But now I can kind of go either way. But again, I think a little of your self-esteem plays a role, too, um, because you got to find yourself to be beautiful, even if nobody else says it. So it needs to be a little bit more about what you think of self versus what the world says, because the world is kind of confused. One thing is one way, one day and the next day, you know, like they're fickle. So I've learned to look within versus like this whole outside thing. Awesome. Morgan, you. So uh, Rosie brought up kind of the the uh, hair uh, and just kind of that positioning on, you know, straight hair. And then now this push for natural. I'll speak as a man. And I feel like this is needed to be said. Most men, especially when they get over 30, we don't care about hair. I mean, like I'm bald. I mean, it, it, we just I, I think there's other things that evolve. And it's like the, the fickleness of weave to me is a bad investment anyway. But we just don't care, but I, it still has weight. It still carries gravity and it still affects what we think beautiful or this, this notion of what beauty is. So for you, what has been that? Has there been like, like I need to get longer hair or I need to have the, the 30 inch weave? What has that experience been like to you, Morgan? You're, you're on mute. Hold on. I got you. You're good now. <laughs> <laughs> What's interesting is that I had a very similar experience as Rosie in college. I went away to Jackson State. It wasn't a lot of options for what to do to your hair. At that time, the natural hair wave hadn't really hit the fan yet. So everybody had a weave. That was my first time getting weave and I think it was my first introduction to garnering a certain amount of attention from men. And um, I think that attention is what really began to kind of <laughs> shape my idea of what beauty actually looks like. Because now I realize that, oh, you know, there's a certain type of a black woman that um, men are looking for whether it be slim, curvy, long hair. And the long hair is something that I discovered that I just got a lot more attention whenever I wore it. And um, it almost became something that I was just addicted to. It was like, I felt like I had to have the long straight hair, the um, caramel, nicely caramel, not too dark complexion. Um, I always had slim features. So I felt like, okay, that's the total package to what I think would be appealing. But it wasn't until after I um, graduated from college and really began to look within. And that's just kind of going back to what Rosie said and um, learning to truly love yourself for mm -hmm. who you are, no matter how you look. Because here's the deal. Beauty is going to look totally different five years from now, 10 years from now. There may be a whole new wave that starts, you know, between now and then of what the the world thinks is beautiful you know in terms of shape size hair color all of that 
So instead of me trying to keep up with the Joneses and be able to be validated by other people, I realized that, hey, you need to just love yourself for who you are and see the beauty that is within you. And um, when I began to see that, that and unlearn kind of those things that I picked up during college, it really helped propel me into a direction to where I could truly carry myself um, in a way that was confident, in a way that um, showed how much I loved myself for who I was and allowed for me to be my most authentic version. Awesome. Awesome. Shay, uh, I'll hit you with the first question and it's the follow up on Morgan's and then I'll hit you with the second one because this will make a little bit more sense. So Shay, our family is this, right? Like all the way around, right? Like those Perry sisters are, you know, they're pretty much, you know, that's that's them. And and they wear it and they carry it. They wear it proud. Don't fool yourself. They <laughs> they love the way they look. So what traditionally um you being light skinned, that has had to create some sense of gravitational effect. Um even when we think of so there's this. Uh, and and Jasmine and I'm sure you're gonna attest to this. So you, your husband and I talked about like uh, the traditional first lady uh, and things that are said without being said, right? So you know, you marry the first lady, you know, light skinned first lady, things of that nature. Probably locker room talk that shouldn't exist anymore. But to say that it's not there, it is. Uh, what has that experience been like for you? You you know you kind of have matriculated to this point and now you know you're you know really doing the natural hair but what is that you know ariel hit it on you were you were the whitley of that generation right so like now at this point you know what has that experience been like for you jay um so it was definitely i think a certain look that was expected of me as far as um keeping my hair straight, um, walking, well, carrying myself a certain way, um, wearing makeup, things like that to fit this particular mold or this look. Um, they've And nothing against them. It's just that generation where they just believed in always presenting mm-hmm. your best foot forward. But unfortunately, that best foot was shaped by the society that didn't understand our culture and who we are as a people. So through colonization, they've affected this uh, this look, if you will, and um, a European colonization around the world. So everybody's look around the world is defined through the lens, through a European lens. So um, when I decided to cut my hair off and go natural, it was a thing in my mother's house. Like, she's like, why would you want to do that? You know, you had, you look beautiful with straight hair. But I didn't want to, I didn't want to, I no longer wanted to use a perm, poison my hair, poison my skin to fit this image that, um, to me, that wasn't beneficial to me. So it's like we were using like perms or we had used perms. And this to me is a beautiful moment that uh, we in the Black community are that we're in right now. And I just hope it's not a trend. I hope we continue to do this and embrace right. who we are. And I, I told my mom, I said, God gave me this hair. Why am I trying to cover it up or 
why do I want to uh, straighten it to fit someone else's idea of beauty? I'm like, I'm not doing that. And just recently I, I cut my hair because I dye it because I have a lot of gray. Mm-hmm. So um, I cut it to go even more natural. Oh, that was a whole thing. That was hilarious. She's like, I just cut off all my glory. But it's just, it's that image that they're just, I think that generation, they're just um, victims of that society. Um, that hopefully that society that's in the past and they were moving towards uh, just a, a broader perspective of what beauty is sure, and the grand sure. scheme of things as far as the world and just even within our own culture, you know? So beauty, it can be as light, bright as me or as chocolate and dark as, you know, as ebony, you know, and it should not be, define like through this European lens. And I think we as a culture, we need to start rejecting that and teaching our children to reject that. Um, so. No, I totally, I totally agree. Yeah, go ahead. Cody, can I add something? So when I talked about that conditioning, we got to go all the way back to not just light skin, dark skin, but the whole field. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and House Negro, um, that was a big deal. And in those moments, I feel like the generational of beauty and, and identity of what that was, I mean, we kind of wanted to be the house Negro and not be in the field. Mm-hmm. And I think that we kind of captured that as that's what beauty was. And we've done it for generation after generation. Right. And now I feel like it's been a shift. And now we're starting to embrace like, hey, it doesn't really matter if you was in the house or in the field. We all can be beautiful. Like, you could be beautiful in the field. <laughs> so I think now that's the the new wave of accepting who we are, but we've been conditioned to go with what they thought. And now it's like, what do you think of yourself? Like, we got to stop going with what others think. Go with, hey, well, what do you think? Because they may change tomorrow and say, no, we want the darkest women ever and now now light skin is out i mean but that's happened before where light skin guys were in and dark skin guys were out yeah i know way but we have to learn to love ourselves regardless of what the world is going to depict today as beauty it has to be this inward thing right that's true i'm gonna piggyback that's that's gonna be my last question when we talk about sexual attraction but that will be the last question i want to do this and michelle i want to begin with you again you mentioned light skin privilege and I, did, I just have two more questions and I'll let you guys go. You mentioned light skin privilege. So light skin privilege is a real thing. Um, sad to say it is. My wife, uh, her uh, brothers are dark skinned black men, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and she asked me a question and she said, if you were my brother's you know, shade complexion, do you think you would have gotten as far or at least as fast? And, you know, and I couldn't answer it straight. I'm like, no, I worked hard for this, you know, but at the same token, I know I, I get away with a little bit. It's not like white privilege. It's a little, it's like a, it's like a tinge of that, uh, you know, but I, it's a very real thing. So I want to start there. What is that, that light skin privilege been like for you, Jay? Um. Okay. So earlier this year, I had a conversation with my husband, um, Mm-hmm. I'm a mother of two teenage daughters and the oldest started driving this year. 
So mm-hmm. I told him um, I need for him to have the talk with them because I said, I was like, I one, I can't have that talk. One, I never received the talk. Right. And two, my talk, even though it will start one way, it would transform into, well, you need to know your rights and you need to do this, you know, which could ultimately get them killed. Even though they're light skinned, they're darker than I am. Right. And um, just like you said with the police, I, um, I, when my hair is straight or when it was straight, I think majority of the time when I'm driving, people just assume I'm a white woman. So I'm speeding. I'm, you know, whatever. I never, I can get, count the number of times I've been pulled over on one hand. Mm-hmm. And one time in particular, I was pulled over. Uh, I was running late for work and I was speeding. And the police officer pulled me over and I had an attitude. And I told him, I said, look, are you, look, I'm running late for work. That's why I was speeding. Are you going to give me a ticket or, or let me go? Because I need to get to work. And he let me off with a warning. Hmm. To me, that's light skin privilege hmm. at its finest. You know, it's just things like that. And then just being able to maneuver in society and, and just, you're, I'm much more accepted um, in certain white circles than others are. And, and I can tell just even when, um, at one of, at this former job I was at, how people were just readily accepting of me. And then I've had black coworkers like, oh, they always have an attitude with me. And I'm just like, you know, and it's like, so I can even, so being, having that edge, I'm able to probably be in on conversations mm-hmm. or be privy to, um, you know, to possibly moving forward in an organization. So it's mm-hmm. like, there are barriers, but it's so much less than probably a dark skinned person would have. Mm-hmm. Um, even my husband was told, has been told by white men, Oh, your wife is so pretty. Um, mm. She's mm. pretty enough to be with a white man. And it's, and, and I'm like, you know, it's just that, that, so that mindset that you know it's there. And I think sometimes people forget that I'm black sometimes, even when they're talking to me. So it's like they, they let you in on what they're really thinking. So, and then you know how to maneuver and kind of, uh, how to deal with them and converse with them. So you learn, you kind of learn how to maneuver within their society. So to me, that's been a privilege and it's not fair. It's not fair at all that the door, a lot of dark skin people don't even get one foot in the door when I have a seat, you know, maybe not at the table, but I'm in the room, you know? So it's just, that's been my experience with uh, light skin privilege. Morgan, I'm sure that there is privilege even among being, you know, brown, complected. Um, Shay's absolutely right. There is obstacles, but there's like this, you're not quite black. And the more that you're not quite black and the more, uh, I don't want to say, I hate that word fair. Like, I, I think that's a ploy, right? That's an ignorant expression. But the lighter that you are, um, somehow there's a moral equivalency to that, right? And unfortunately, it's it's true in American society. What has or the the avenues that have been opened up for you, Morgan, as as a brown skinned girl? Like, have you ever taken the opportunity just to look back and be like, 
that would have played out a lot differently if I was about two shades darker. <laughs> well, I will say just within my experience, if I speak to it from a career standpoint, how about that? Um, thankfully, there has never been a case to where um, I feel like situations would have been a little bit different, mainly because my progression has truly been due to other individuals who are African-American um, opening up those doors for me. So I can't say, I, you know, there's been any case where I've had any privilege because I was any lighter of a browner complected woman um, or was missed out on because I was a little bit darker. But from a career standpoint, I think my plus has always been just the individuals that have advocated for me and have assured that um, I was considered for um, any situation. If that's a if that's a direction to look at it from a career standpoint, I don't think that um, there has been any moment where I had any edge or any less of an edge. Um, but I will say in my standpoint and the trajectory that I've been on, it's been thankfully due to individuals who look like me, mm -hmm. um, lighter or browner, that um, advocated for me and ensured that I had a seat at the table. Awesome, awesome. Rosie, uh, the new Jasmine, what has this privilege or lack thereof been like? So I have to completely agree with Morgan. I don't know if it's like the middle place that allows us to kind of mm. skate under the radar, but I don't, I don't have any real situations where I felt like skin color kind of didn't get me something or did get me something because I'm really just in the middle. Um, I will say the only time that um, I felt like maybe my me being black, just in general, not about uh, skin co complexion. Sure was when I went to a predominantly white school, mm -hmm. NIU. Mm -hmm. um, of course, my major was sociology slash criminology. And I took a lot of like policing in a democratic society, a lot of prison, you know, classes. And of course, I'm kind of like the only black in the class. And everybody was looking to me when, you know, you're talking about urban neighborhoods and you're talking about blacks and they all looking like and I'm looking like well my family is not all in prison you know like I yeah. don't know the answer to that I'm black but I mean that's not how I grew up so right. I think that that was probably the only time where I felt uncomfortable in my skin because they tried to make me a spokesperson for blacks and I'm like well I don't have all these black experiences that you know you all are even talking about like yes I grew up in the hood yes some of my cousins went to jail some right. of them prison, but I can't speak to all of these black experiences, especially when you're talking about policing and reform and all. I'm like, yeah, I'm black, but I mean, I don't want to speak for all black people. And you know, I feel like I kind of code switch pretty well. Um, mm. I think that's a thing that we do when we're educated, but we still from the hood. Um mm. It, it allows us to still connect with our people, but yet we can run a, a business meeting and speak with intelligence. So 
that's probably the biggest thing I do at work with the position that I'm in is that I go back and forth. They know Chicago will come out, but then they know I'll act like I got some sense too. (laughs) So yeah, that's probably it. All right. Cold switch and uh, Jasmine and then Ariel. And then I'm going to hit you with my last question. I know we're running out of time. So uh, the obstacles uh, now it's crazy. And this is probably a terrible example. Uh, Growing up, went to Sandberg, right? So (laughs) very, very white. Um, uh, I was like, it was me and Reggie. He was the only black dudes on the team, right? Uh, But like when we would play against black schools, my white team members would just like freeze, you know? And, And it was like this thing. It was like when they saw the black athlete, especially a darker skinned black athlete, they just in their head just felt like, you know, this, we're not gonna win, right? What is that? What if there is? Um, privilege is—is is there dark skin privilege? Is there something that you know? I, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know. I'm asking—is there dark skin privilege, Jasmine? Um, Hold on, you're muted. I'm gonna get you. You got it. I don't know if it's a dark skin privilege. Um, one thing I do notice, I had to be conscious of, especially at Loyola, was you had to almost be overly friendly for for it to come across that mm-hmm. I'm not that threatening black person. You have to be like that overly bubbly person, that overly welcoming person. If you weren't, you were automatically seen as oh, that's that type of black person. And it was, I mean, looking back on it, it was bad because you're it was bad because you're like, well, I don't want to be labeled as that. But then I know I'm not trying to be extra and go outside of myself just for you to even look my way. And um, I've had the same experience of being the only black person in your class. I took a lot of sociology classes, um, civil rights, uh, terrorism in the United States. We get to the part about the Black Panther Party or anything like that. And then it just, it becomes crickety. You can kind of feel everybody looking at you. So when you go to answer, you try and give that politically correct answer where it's like, you know, yeah, Malcolm X was violent and this and that, but, you know, you try and soften it up so they can still be like, oh, okay, and understand. Um, That's one thing I felt like I found myself having to do a lot, kind of be that buffer for people to understand. And it's like, but I don't even understand myself. I, I'm, My parents live in Olympia Fields right now. I can't tell you that much about it. Um, but then on the flip side of it, depending on when you go to other areas with other black people, um, if you just have Mm -hmm. that look, if that makes sense, you can almost, you know, assimilate in. If you, you get on the right clothes, if you get on a pair of Jordans, your hair is done, however it's done. If it's some braids some box braids, or you got a weave or whatever, if your hair is done, you might have, have your nails together okay, they're going to look at you and be like, oh, okay, and be cool with you just off of the look because that's how sometimes it goes. Um, So it's just, it's different things you have to be aware of. So I don't think we have a privilege almost anywhere. Maybe guys might. It might be something different, that domineering type, like you said, the athlete. But as far as women, especially if you don't want to be labeled as like that angry black woman or anything like that, you have to either go, over and beyond to shrink yourself so you can fit or just try and be the flip side of it. Like Rosie said, the cold switching. 
Gotcha, gotcha. Ariel, uh, this, see if you can answer this in a minute, and then I want to hit you with the last question. This is for everybody. Uh, so that black privilege, right, it's probably more on the male side. But for women, is there is there something that we're not seeing? Is there a, even if it's an undertone or a, you know, probably conversation, whatever, is there is there a uh, dark skin privilege? I um I was trying to think of a privilege while Jasmine was speaking and I couldn't think of what would be seen as a privilege, I think. I think it's more so along the lines of what Jasmine was speaking about because um I feel that um darker skinned women are seen to be more strong and seem to be like more angry and more masculine that we have to um I guess, bring ourselves down and make ourselves mm. seem small in order to be accepted into into the world today. Um, but I definitely agree with her about having to be aware of how we speak to people because there's been plenty of times, whether I've been in class, um, in class or at work, and somebody has told me that I'm coming off as aggressive or I'm mm-hmm. coming off as being too demanding about things where I'm just asking for something to be done. So, you know, you have to throw that, hey, please, could you just uh, make sure that this gets done on time instead of like, hey, can you move it along? Like, make sure it's done and completed by the day. You have to add those extra things in there so you're not seen as being aggressive. Um, And then also just being seen as strong. There's not nothing. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Wrong with being seen as strong, but I think that it's taken to to another level um, as seen as that we don't need help. We don't need to be protected um, in that, in that way. Or in, awesome. In that All right. Way. So last question, this is for everybody. I want to hit this. Let's try to see if we can get this in a minute answers. Cause I got you guys for about five more minutes and I know it's going to go over. So um, attraction. Uh, so, you know, you have, I, I like, I tell anybody you have the right to like whatever you like. 
you know, I I'm not here to judge. I don't get into arguments over attraction, but what I do get into is the reasons for your attraction. And I think those are worthy to be discussed, right? So um, my parents never cared. And and as far as trying to say you should date one type of woman over the other, um, I knew very early on, I was like, you know, I, I like black women. That's what I'm attracted to. That's really what I want. But they never, it was never like, a, you know, you should go ice and dark. It was never that conversation, right? But that conversation exists. Uh, now, versa, you go to the barbershop and you start engaging into male bravado and certain cultural norms and stereotypes about the attraction of black women in certain shades and colors and certain features that come with that. So I'm opening up for you. Obviously, I'm not a woman. Uh, has have you? And the reason why, because I and, and Ebony did a report and Ebony magazine. I think it came out about five years ago. Um, and Ariel, we talked about this last time. It said for educated black women or black women for uh, that have a bachelor's and then they compared it to those that have a master's. Their rate of marry or their percentage of likelihood of getting married decreases like substantially more than any other group, which is horrifying. And I don't even know the answer to that. But attraction, right? Did anybody in your lifetime, Ariel, say like, look, you need a dark-skinned guy or you need a light-skinned guy? What has that love channel been like? Uh, my parents didn't have a talk with me about any shade or anything like that. They said you love who you love and whoever you bring home is who you bring bring home. Uh, but I am aware that the type of guys that are attracted to me, um, especially based off of my skin tone and how I wear my hair and stuff like that, I do know that that is something that I am aware of. Because, um, you know, uh, just the type of guys that I get are the ones that are more, um, I guess, outspoken um, and stuff like that. Makes sense. Jazz. I know you you mentioned you didn't like the whole Chris Brown thing. You know, I didn't get offended by that comment at all. It's fine. You know, I, I've heard words, so, you know, <laughs> doesn't even faze me. Uh, but obviously, it had some effect, right? You know, lo and behold, so, so even though you did not necessarily vibe in that channel, was there ever any conversation like, man, you know, you might, you know, was there any type of, even if it's a dark comment slash humor that you should attract uh, to a certain type. You're muted again. I got you, though. I got you, sis. <laughs> I got you. Yeah. No, um, the one thing I honestly, the biggest thing I probably remember from when I was dating is being told you're pretty for a, black, a dark skin girl or hearing that kind of thing in passing. And it's just kind of like, what you mean, though? Like, what really, like, if you take that out of it and you look at things that you're supposed to look at in a relationship, like personality, like, okay, can I have a conversation with you? Like, do we have the same goals? This kind of thing. Like, does really my skin color dictate what comes along with that? Or are you just, because of what you see, you're limiting yourself. And those are the kind of conversations I would have a lot with my friends at school. Like we'd sit around at Loyola, we just talk about it. Like, you know, I, 
I would talk to this person, but they wouldn't give me a chance because I've overheard them say that kind of comment in passing or just how they look at different people. So um, I think that's kind of what I was aware of. And mm -hmm. so when trying to date somebody or talk to somebody, you're like, okay, yeah, that's cool. You complimented me on this, that, and third, but let's kind of move past that so I can really see where you are. Because if you're just on that superficial level, then, okay, we really have nothing else to talk about. So I think as a dark-skinned woman, you have to kind of look even more so beyond superficial things and really try and pull substance because they'll easily pull that, oh, you're pretty for a dark-skinned girl card, you know, quickly. And if you're just fishing for a compliment, that'll mm. wrap you up, you know. Mm. I mean, that's that's powerful. Pretty. I don't even know what to say to that. Um, that's sad. Rosie, attraction. Um, you know, during the early 6028 South Champlain days with the large cement step outside, that didn't make any type of sense. Um, convocation was different back then, right? <laughs> right? Uh, it was, it was, it was a whole vibe. Um, you know, I, I'm so sorry for anybody that did not grow up <laughs> during that time. So, is there has there ever been that discussion like you know you might want to think about talking so and so because of whatever reasons? What has anybody ever tried to influence your attraction to any type of male? So nobody like my mom or aunts or uncle, nobody has really um, kind of pushed me to a particular type. But I will say that I confess again, I do have a type and I right. like light skinned men. That is what I do. However, uh, that's not really what I married. And I think that at a certain point, it becomes about right. maturity. So now it's like, okay, um, I just want somebody, no matter what color they are, I'm going to need you to have like these things. And most of them are like the intangible things. Those things that are like, you know, honesty, trust, loyalty, those things are kind of what matter now. Yeah. Um, but I would still particularly pick a, a light skin guy. I'm hey, not, I can say. Hey. You know, right. So, you know, let's keep it 100. We, yeah. Hey, I, I, hey. Yeah. I, I love my brother. Look, I get it. Me, Matthew, we get it. That's it. We get it. Uh, Morgan, I'm throwing this to you. Do you <laughs> do you have a type? Has anybody ever tried to influence your type? I never had any family members, any friends influence the type of person that I should talk to. However, I had a similar experience to one of the ladies that mentioned just um, coming across some individuals with statements like, yeah, you know, you're really pretty for a brown skin girl. I can recall a moment in college when um, I was standing in line for a party and I was standing in between my two best friends who were both um, light skinned young women. And um, there were two males standing behind me. And uh, one of the guys was like, hey, you know, shorty in front of me, she's, she's really pretty. And um, the guy next to him was like, you know, oh, you talking about the two light-skinned girls? And he was like, no, you know, the brown-skinned girl. And he looked at him and was like, oh, you must just have a thing for dark-skinned chicks, huh? You know. And so 
that right there just made me um as i was going through the dating experience look for a little bit more substance just to ensure that they are truly um invested in me for me and it's not just a fascination with hmm. my skin complexion um so yeah <laughs> makes sense shay last question i'm into with you uh if demand looked like um my iphone's case right here which is fine you know would you still would, he, would it still be enough do you have a type has anybody ever tried to influence your sexual attraction Okay, so to answer that question that you just asked, I've dated people from Ooh, almost no, my no. color, <laughs> all the way through, and I've dated an African, you know. Yeah. So, um, me personally, I just think, um, you know, how they say a girl's first love is her dad. So most of the time, you you fall in love with maybe a guy that reminds you of your father. May not necessarily look like him, but he might have attributes of him. So for me, uh, I do have a type. My type is like a caramel color, if you will, brown skin, caramel color. Mm. Um, so um, as far as influence, I want to put things into context. Mm. Uh, my parents grew up in the Jim Crow era South, right? So I didn't come to this realization because I thought that there was this, this colorism thing until I realized actually just recently it was survival for them. Right. As far as, um, you know, if you can marry lighter, maybe you should. Right. Because it's a survival thing for them. Because in Jim Crow era South, a dark skinned person is more likely, a dark skinned man is more likely to be hung, to be hanged mm -hmm. or to be uh to run into issues with uh with racists. So, but I at first I just rejected it and like, okay, you guys are crazy, you know, it is what it is. But as I got older, I started understanding where they were coming from. So there were hints around it, but it was never a thing like uh oh, they just didn't like somebody because they were dark skin or anything like that, that I dated. They were just concerned, but it's like we were living in a different day now. Well, yeah. we thought right. we were living in a different day now. Right. So um, so I would say there have been hints, and I, and I know they've alluded to things like how, uh, how their parents might have had influence on some things, you know? Um, so... Yes, but it wasn't as it's not that strong, but there were hints to it, you know, just thinking about the survival of your kids, you know, and things like that. So, that's, yeah, that's, that's true. My survival. I mean, I've, I've heard the horror stories of uh, Mississippi in the 40s and 30s from uh, Calvertis. So I, <laughs> I, I, I did where that frame of thought, honestly, uh, uh, stems from. So I get it. Look, I appreciate you guys. You guys have been fantastic. Uh, I've kept you guys over five minutes. I apologize. I knew it was going to happen. But look, where can they connect you? I'll start with you, Shay. What are you doing? What's your what's your social media handle? Where can they connect with you at? Um, you can find me uh, on Facebook at Tequila Doris. I, um, I'm a youth director, so I'm all about trying to shape the little and mold little people and teenagers uh, to be better human beings. So uh, you can find me there. You can find me on Instagram, uh, Shots of Tequila. Uh, that's with a Z. And uh, that's about it. Yeah. 
Awesome. Shots of tequila. Look, once I do the post-production, you'll see her social media hyperlink. Morgan, where can they connect with you? What are you doing? On Facebook, you can um, search Morgan L. Williams on Instagram. I'm obviously L. If you would like to follow my blog, which you should, it's also sisterly with two O's on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Awesome. Awesome. Rosie, where can they connect with you? What are you doing? So I have Facebook, Candy's Rose Bryant, um, Roses I Read on Instagram, but I don't really do a whole lot. I got two kids, a full-time job. Um, I'm trying to save the world on the on the low end with at-risk kids, but that's about it. I get you. Jasmine, where can they connect with you? What are you doing? Uh, I'm on Facebook, Jasmine Spencer. Uh, Instagram, the Mrs. Underscore Spencer. I do have my blog. The link to that is on my Instagram. If you go to my Facebook page, I'm always reposting that. It's Peculiar Royalty. So that's always up. Um, I got two little people. One is two, one is four. So um, I'm just trying to raise some great humans over here. Awesome. Look, check out her blog. It's, it's amazing. I've checked it out. I'm trying to create a little one so that your little ones can have friends <laughs> too. So Ariel, where, <laughs> where can they connect with you? What are you doing? <laughs> Um, you can connect with me on Facebook at Ariel Crenshaw. Um, on Instagram, it is Crenshaw Boulevard 35. Um, right now, I'm just trying to make it through my master's program, uh, graduate December 2021. So focusing on that right now. All right. All right. Look, I appreciate the guys. Look, next week I'm on vacation, so nothing's going on. I don't think next week I'm trying my hardest. Or do I? No, that's wrong. I do have the podcast interview with uh, Willie, uh, emerging artist, him and his artist. And I have Ami coming up, I believe it's the that same Tuesday. Okay, I got to check my schedule. <laughs> and then after that, we're going into mental health. Uh, that's going to be coming on. But the episode that is going to be awesome and on fire is Cancel Culture in the Church. I have Pastor Billy Jamel Evans, the Pastor Marto Beers. I have Jasmine's husband, uh, Reverend Pastor Matthew R. Spencer. I have, uh, who else? Uh, Prophet Lonnie Davis. And I think Legend Heron will be on there. It's going to be wild. It's going to be ratchet as always. I appreciate you guys. Till next time. Thank you so much. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? 
they're also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino's home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.